this is a sentimental day. This is a sentimental day. My mom and dad got married. My mom was 15 years old. And I don't want to give you any ideas. It's not a suggestion. She was 15. She had me at 19. And I used to tease her and say that we grew up together uh, because she was kind of a kid herself. I just want to show you a picture of my mom. Uh, this is her. I love her. She's just a beautiful, beautiful woman. And um, oh, I get misty just looking at her image, you know, at this time. That's not my mom. Let me show you. This is my mom. That's my mom when I was just about your age uh, right there on the front row. So anyway, um, call your mom. Tell her you love her. Um, give her a shout out. Thank the Lord for her. Uh, if you are a mom, I don't know what to tell you. You know, just hang in there. Um, Today, we are in the last session of a series we've called Saved and Set Free, and that's because I know a lot of people in this room, a lot of people who can hear my voice right now, you would say, I get the theological implications of being saved. I understand that term. I heard that before I was a Christian. I I knew what that meant, but to be saved and set free is not something that I see a lot among followers of Jesus, I see people saved and still in some ways in bondage. And they've been um, captured by a stronghold or a sin or an issue or a memory or something painful. Uh, and God wants you to be free. And that's what this series has been about. And I've probably gotten more feedback and response from, from this series than, than any we've done recently. Uh, and I want you to live in that freedom. I don't want it to be just for this season and then the summer comes and maybe you get busy or whatever and you move away from it and you find yourself uh, getting pulled back into the same old stuff. So today, we're going to talk about something a little different. Uh, we're going to wrap this up with looking at three subjects that probably raise a lot of questions and maybe even some skepticism or... Uh, doubt uh, about what I'm going to talk about, and that is uh, it's because in the Western world, in the U.S. Uh, particularly, we easily dismiss the idea or the, 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 the validity of generational sins or strongholds, soul ties, and curses. And you think, eh, I don't, I don't believe in all that. And I get that. I understand that. And I think it's been mystified and it's been given this kind of spooky feeling when we talk about things like that. And you think, well, what I thought was, you know what, every generation, you're born, you got a clean slate and you're you and there's nobody else that's affected you or can affect you. And I, and I understand that as we're raised, there's, there's this... Um, environmental factor, the way you're raised and where and all of that. I mean, I will have a Southern accent my entire life. Why? Because I'm a Tennessee boy. You know, I'm Southern, and I'm just going to always talk like this. You see, that's my environment. But then there's a genetic thing going on, right? Some of you say, well, I look like my mama, or I talk like my daddy, or, you know, and that's, that is a physical thing. We, we, we get that in the natural realm. Remember how we've talked in this series 
about the fact that there are two, there's one world with two realities, two realms. There's a natural realm, we understand that, and then there's a spiritual realm. Now, I just want you to, to think about the fact that if it's true that you can inherit all these physical things, might it not be true that in the spiritual realm, the same thing happens? So not everything is just genetic or environmental uh, on a physical or natural realm. Uh, the issues we're going to talk about today, guys, are very real. And I've seen these accepted in other cultures. Now, our church and ministries that we're connected to, and I've had the privilege to travel to a lot of different in kind of environments, uh, and we've ministered in uh, just for instance, and there, there, there are more places, and I know some of you have been to, but in Haiti, on the Navajo Reservation, in Europe, Africa, the Caribbean, Latin America, and Asia, the issues we're going to talk about today are more common. And whereas in this moment you may think, oh, you're going to give me something to kind of ponder the rest of the afternoon. It's not a lot we consider. And other places be perfectly common. It would be, be a subject, oh, yeah, well, we have to talk about that. And here's what I think, and this part's kind of subjective, so you can take it or leave it. I think we don't experience a lot of what we've talked about over the last several weeks on this on as blatant a level because it's not needed. You know, um, it would be almost overkill for us to be able to perceive uh, demonic activity spiritual events to the level that other places are experiencing them and I have seen some of you have seen and you felt because you've been there and you know it's real you think why don't I feel that at home I believe it's because materialism works just fine and I think that is the main weapon uh, that's been used against us it's a blessing so it kind of comes in disguise. But I think oftentimes the enemy says, I don't have to go there. I don't have to show that evil uh, nature in such a way because, you know what, you guys will just buy stuff and I got you. And I, I really, I, I think it's not needed. So I think he kind of holds that card or that ability in reserve uh, for, uh, for Americans. And I speak because I'm an American. So that's what I think about that. Uh, but generational sin and strongholds, soul ties, curses are ways that the enemy can get a foothold within us in our personality, in our life, in our legacy, and in just the way that we live. And I see this every day. You don't have to go to another place where you feel a darkness. It's here. It's here, and it's present, and it's, it's, a, and it's a very tough issue that some of you, probably many of us in this room, are struggling with or not struggling with anymore. Now, I was skeptical about this, just like maybe some of you, but when you take a close look at Scripture and when you backpedal through your own experiences, you put that together. So let's begin with this question, how... Can we dismantle these things in order to move forward in what God has designed us to do? How can we break that chain? That's a really good question, and wouldn't you like to know that you can do that 
and that you're not trapped and you don't have to be. Uh, every one of those songs we sang about freedom today can be an expression and a testimony of your life, of your life. That can be your story, saved and set free, and set free. So that's what we're going to talk about. And let's begin uh, this session with uh, talking about generational strongholds. Now, again, I speak as an American. We're very individualistic. Uh, some places are very much more uh, family-oriented. I go to Latin America about twice a year, and, oh, my goodness, everything's family. Everything's generational. And you sit down at the table, and there's a child, and there's a senior adult. I mean, and, and that's, I know that that's common for us, too, but it's more common for us around holidays or special events and things like that, Mother's Day. Uh, there it's a, just a very different kind of uh, atmosphere. And some of you know, maybe some of you are raised in different places, but at, typically in America, we're more individualistic. We move more. We, we will live farther away from home. I, Kathy and, was raised in Mississippi and I was in Memphis. Uh, we were fairly close to our parents when we came to Calvary. We moved 400 miles away from them. That's very common. Some of you live far away from family and you don't think that much about it because we're so individualistic. Now, if we look at Scripture... We see that God puts great emphasis on the power of community. And we're constantly, Joe is always hounding you. Are you in a community group? And it's not just that he wants everybody in groups. That's not the end game. That's not the point. But we know that's a beautiful and excellent vehicle to get you connected to other people on a smaller platform than, than a big room with rows and we can say hi to people and not really get to know them because we know the power of community and the power of generations. When you stop and think about the impact of generation upon generation upon generation and how those relationships have become very powerful and very influential in your life, when you think about your own family or where you live, um, you think about when an issue comes up politically. Do you remember, last, was it last year? Um, when the big thing about the, uh, the Confederate flag and the American flag and th- we're going to pull it down and we're going to put it up and how heated that became and how some people became so emotional. You know, and we do that about all kinds of things. But you know what that speaks of? That is the power of community. That's the power of community and those relationships. Look at Romans um, chapter 5. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded uh, for many. What he's saying, and this is repeated in other places, is that from one man's sin, Adam, death... And that tendency towards sin was passed down to all generations. And I probably don't have to work real hard to convince you of that, right? Because we all have that propensity and capacity to sin. Nobody had to teach you to be selfish or jealous or angry or lustful. That just sort of came natural, didn't it? In fact, you spend a lot of energy trying to go in a different direction. And you think, wow, what is this natural pull, this, this thing in me that wants to do that? That was given to you 
at your birth. You inherited that. Just like you inherited physical characteristics and attributes, you inherited a spiritual attribute, and that's called sin. So we, we started like that. And that was a very natural thing. And in Exodus 20, we see that generations will pay for the sins committed by the generations that went before them. And the same goes for blessings. There are generations that will reap the joy uh, and the, the blessings from a previous generation's obedience to God. Some of you are reaping blessings, and you didn't do anything to deserve it, right? And you could trace that back and say, that's because my granddaddy did this, or my mama did this, and I am reaping the benefits of that. The same thing can happen in a negative way. I thought of how to illustrate this, and I thought about the national debt that we're the first generation. I mean, we're, we are going to pass along to our children our debt, and it is tremendous. The boomers, my, you know, I'm on the tail end of that generation, and, and we can't do that. We, we're not going to pay off. So, and you know what? It's gonna, I'm going to pass away one day, and here's my inheritance. You get a huge national debt. We think, well, that's not fair. I didn't do that. Too bad. You get that. You see, we understand it, and the same thing kind of works in a spiritual way. Uh, Look at Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2. I've got like a bunch of ribbons here in my Bible, so it takes me a second to get the right one. 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Each generation has the potential for a new legacy, and that can be for good or for evil. But you have this very strong possibility in the lives of your children and your grandchildren, you're going to leave a legacy. You're going to leave an influence uh, in in their lives. Do you remember when Pilate handed Jesus over to the crowd and the people began to shout, his blood be on us and on our children. Go back and read that. And that statement was the beginning of this generational cycle that we can still see today in the nation of Israel. Well, how do we identify generational issues in our lives? Could that be true in in my life and in your life? Well, first, just look at your life experiences. And this is is not as mystical. I think it's a lot more practical than maybe you thought about when you first began to think about uh, this issue. But look at your life experience. If you have an issue with something... Um, despite all the treatment and all that, and you still struggle and you keep going back and it just refuses to go away and you think, wow, this has got a hold of me and I don't want it to, but it does. Kind of just put a little check right there. 
Where did that, and, and your friend doesn't struggle with that, and your girlfriend doesn't struggle with that, and you think, why does this, why does this bother me? Just put a little check right there. Look at your life experiences. Secondly, use observation and research uh, to look into the issue. Learn about your family from extended relatives and older generations and call them before they pass away. Take it from somebody. Take it from me. There's so many questions I wish I had asked my parents, my grandparents, and my in-laws. And uh, there, there are questions that we think, why didn't we think to, to interview them? And I'm doing that now with, with people. And over the last couple of years, have gotten really interested in that. And you can begin to see if there are any patterns that start developing. And you think, well, our family's always kind of been like this. And that'll be, that'll be interesting to you. And I, I have seen that uh, on both my mother's side of the family and on my father's side of the family. As I've done this research, it's been fascinating. Things that surprise you that are good news and things that you think, oh, kind of wish I didn't know that. <laughs> and I found out both. But just use observation and research. Thirdly, use discernment. Uh, your spiritual intuition. Uh, and Because some things are just more than physiological issues. And you'll begin to sense in your spirit, I'm on to something. There's something here. There's something about this. And then fourth, seek revelation. Uh, that's a big part of what prayer is. Just pray to the Lord. Ask the Lord and do this with other believers in your community group or with your family or, you know, just pray, God, would you lead me and would you affirm truth in my heart? Lord, I, I need to know this factually and I can look it up on ancestry.com or findagrave.com. I can go to all these sites and I can figure out things or interview relatives. But Lord, would you affirm in, in my heart? Would, I just want to pray that you would open my eyes, that you would open my eyes. Uh, what is it that you're wrestling with? Uh, what can you not break loose from? See if you see something like that. And then see if, if the Lord begins to speak to you on that level. So that's how we identify some of these generational issues. Now, how do we dismantle them? Because that's what we want to do, right? We want to break that down once you've identified it. Well, look in Leviticus chapter 26, uh, verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, if I confess my iniquity and I confess the iniquity of my fathers, it wasn't me, it was him, it was them, in their treachery that they committed against me and are also walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then... I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. I think that's a pretty good prescription for what to do next. When God gives the nation of Israel, uh, at, at this, here's how you move forward concerning breaking those generational um, Issues and those curses and those sins, um, he, he began to, to help them to understand this entered in through your community and it went generation to generation. I didn't know this, didn't believe in it 
for a long time. And um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I began to realize I have been affected by my community, by my family. And I love my family. And if you're listening, if you go to YouTube, God bless you. I love you. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the other side of the family. Um, just a little safety there because I realize we're not just in this room anymore. Those days are over. Um, but I began to see issues and I began to see sins and problems. And I thought, well, it wasn't me, but God, I'm going to take this. I'm not going to confess. I confess on behalf of this person and I repent of that. And I give that to you, Lord, and I ask you to break that generational stronghold that was passed along to me through community. So to dismantle strongholds in our lives, you've got to take the responsibility. And you know I always begin at the same place. Every one of these solutions, every week of this series, has started with repentance. Repentance. You've got to take the responsibility for repentance. I see this again and again, and I started studying this, and I saw that Nehemiah did this. I saw that Daniel did this. I saw in 2 Samuel chapter 21, Israel had been in famine for three years. And David went before the Lord and he said, what is going on? Why won't you bless us? And you brought us here and you've done all these things and we're starving. And the Lord spoke to David and he said, the generation before you, old King Saul, who made a lot of mistakes, attacked the Gibeonites. And you were in covenant with them. You were in a partnership with them. He betrayed them. He was treacherous and he attacked them. And I am not blessing you because of what he did. Now, if David was like me, he'd have said, well, that's no fair. I didn't do anything. Why aren't you? Now, you know what David did? He confessed the sins of Israel and the sins of King Saul who went before him. And he said, I repent. My generation, we repent before you for what they did. And guess what happened? Started raining. God lifted that. That is taking responsibility. Now, there's not only these generational strongholds, but there's something, and I've seen this called different things, and I just chose to go with uh, one of the more common words for this, uh, soul ties. A soul tie demonstrates the power of relationships and how sometimes even a good relationship can go south or be used in a negative way. And we're all connected. We're connected to each other in this fellowship. We're connected, I'm thinking particularly in a family sense. And when I began to see some dysfunctions and how my soul was tied to the people in my family, and I thought like everybody and acted like everybody. And that wasn't always a negative thing. Sometimes it's a positive thing. But there was some, there was some stuff that's not real good that had come into my life. And I realized was just my go-to emotional behavior or, you know, because of where I was raised in my family. So I purposed in my heart, God, I don't want my children to continue to inherit that. So would you let me represent the generation to break that chain? And I may not do it very well, and my children 
may be godlier than me, and that's my hope, but I will be the one to break the chain. And so I repented, and I began to move forward. And uh, you know how the Bible, you know, I've been telling you there's this replacement. You replace something. I went out, and I bought, went back to Memphis, and and I bought this ring, and I've worn it for years ever since then. And I hope one day that my sons will get a ring like this. Uh, this is my family crest. It's a hand with blood dropping from it. I'll tell you the story sometime. Uh, and it's uh, got a lion there, and underneath it says the name Riley. That's my family crest. And what this is, just like my wedding band, is a daily reminder that I'm in covenant, that I'm in a relationship with that woman. This ring reminds me that I'm in a relationship with my past. There are soul ties there, but with the future, with my children and their children's children, and I am going to change through the power of Jesus what this name means. And that's a daily reminder that this is going to mean something new and different in the future than it ever has before. You get the idea? That's a soul tie. So being saved and set free is like cutting these invisible bonds that come into our lives and affect us sometimes in a a negative or in a harmful way. Because folks, and we've talked about this, we can't go back over it right now, but you know what? You have authority in Christ. Remember the message on the power and the authority, power and authority? You've got that. So you can take authority. So if there's an unhealthy soul tie or a bond, that when it had occurs when there's a relationship that affects us beyond godly ways, the intention of that. And you've had people like that, right? You've had people that your soul was connected to and they could get you to do things or, you know, when another person has more influence in your life than God does, something dangerous begins to happen. Soul ties and bonds like that can be very healthy, uh, some of you, I see when you have an anniversary or something, I think there's a couple anniversaries this week in our church, and you'll say, oh, that's my best friend. I married my best friend. Well, I didn't marry my best friend because that was Freddie, and that would have been really awkward. And, you know, you know, Michael later was Mike. I said, Mike, I don't think we should get married, but you're still my best friend. You can be my best man at my wedding. Uh, but I married my wife. Uh, and, but I know some of you say, that's my soulmate. And I used to think, what is that? My soulmate. I think, That's, you know, I, say, I don't know if I want to do that. But uh, I kind of get what you're saying, though. And it's, it's, oh, it's, it's enormously romantic, but you're on to something. Because you do get connected, and marriage is an example. That's, I think that's a picture of, of one of these soul bonds that can be a good thing. And some of you who've lost a spouse or some of you who've gone through a divorce, you know what a tearing that was. And I can't tell you how many people I've been with who said, it's like a part of myself was being torn out because it was, because it was, because there's a soul tie there. I can see a soul tie. And I thought of an example in scripture when Peter, one time in the New Testament, he was in Antioch and he's hanging out with Gentiles and he's laughing and talking and eating lunch together and he's having barbecue. I mean, Peter's living it up. He's having a great time. Well, all his Jewish buddies came into town. So you know what Peter did? He began to step back from the Gentiles. 
He moved away from them and, and sat over with his Jewish friends. He didn't want them to see him. This is all in Galatians 2, if you want to go back and read it. Uh, he pulled back because he was afraid of what his Jewish uh, friends would think about his Gentile friends. That's a soul tie. Some of you do it in high school. You do it in college. We do it, uh, if you've ever, if you've, hopefully you've never been in a gang, but I think that's the tie. There is a tie there in, in relationships sometimes that becomes tremendously influential. Uh, and those ties uh, can be very dangerous. Let me just tell you some of the characteristics of those. One is that those can develop through sin. If you sin with people, you, that bond with those people. And you don't want that. That's not good. Secondly, soul ties can develop through misplaced trust, fear, and the need for approval. Uh, and we all grow up under that to some degree. This can happen in normal relationships. It can happen in cultish relationships. I mentioned in a, if you, you know, you see people who maybe joined a gang at one time, and you think, why would you want to do that? Because there was a tie. There was something there. Uh, crowds do that. It's when you feel or you begin to really, you know you're being manipulated or controlled. Soul ties, thirdly, can, can be caused by abuse and violation. And something is broken, but there, there can be a tie there uh, that needs to be severed. And then finally, soul ties, they never cultivate the edification of another person. Uh, they usually foster control and manipulation, self-interest and shame. And some of what you feel this morning, the guilt or the confusion or the oppression could be because there's a soul tie and you connected with somebody and, uh, and that relationship or a group and it brings along this sense of shame. So how are we going to dismantle that? Let's take it apart. Let's break that down. Now remember the four R's, okay? I've mentioned almost every message, I think. Repent, renounce, replace, and receive. First, we need to determine how did this soul tie come about? How did, how did this happen? Was it because I violated something? Was, was there something I did to initiate that or to, to go along with that? And I can remember hanging out with some guys and I just went along with them on things and I knew I shouldn't do, but I went along with them and it created this soul tie and I had to break that. And I'll never forget announcing to them, guys, I can't do this anymore and I can't hang with you. I still love you. God bless you, but I just can't. And it, it did not go well. That was, not a, that was a messy kind of a, a severing there of that relationship, but it set me free. God set me free through that. Um, and I had to ask for, you need to ask forgiveness. Now, once I've taken responsibility for my part, then I pray the prayer simply by the power and the authority of Jesus to sever that soul tie. Lord, would you just cut that? Would you just do surgery on that? And it may exist because I acted on it, and there needs to be real thorough process of not only asking forgiveness, but granting forgiveness. And I almost skipped that part um, when I went through this. And again, I just need to be forgiven. And the Lord said, you need to forgive some people around you who created that and, and who were a part of that. You need to give them forgiveness. Uh, and then I need to ask for forgiveness how I might have responded to something that happened to me in an ungodly way. You see, you could be a victim and you may have uh, faced abuse 
or, I mean, there's abandonment. I mean, there's just so, so many different issues, and those things may have really legitimately happened to you and hurt you, but you responded in a negative way. You see, if somebody really, really hurt me, I grew up in Fraser. I've mentioned it several times. Well, then I just go over and I, and I poison his dog and I burn his house down and I, and, I, and I beat him up, okay? You see, what happened to me was real, but the way I responded, that wasn't godly. So you get it? We need to go back and repent of that. Even though you were the victim, what happened next was that's on, that's on us. That's on you. And then I'm going to receive the filling of God's spirit. And I'm going to move on in freedom. And I'm going to be free. And I'm not going to let the enemy pretend or try to convince me uh, that he still has authority in my life. Particularly in that area, wherever your soul ties was. He doesn't have authority in there anymore. But he's not going to give it up. Or he's not going to let you think he's given it up. But he has. And he has to. Now, third issue, and I just want to kind of end with this is the power of curses. And I know some of you are thinking about movies you've seen where they go, I curse you and I place a curse on you. And you think, nah, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I kind of get that. But there is something powerful about spoken words. Do you remember when Jesus literally spoke? He said, peace be still. He said it out loud and the waves just stopped. Why did he speak? And you see that again. When God created the world, it says he spoke. He could have just thought it. I mean, who was he even talking to? <laughs> but he spoke. there's something powerful about spoken words. And you see this. You see this. You see it in your own life. Uh, so a curse is that which is done with words. When words are spoken out loud. Proverbs 26 tells us that just like a bird flitters about with nowhere to land, so it is with a curse. So we have to ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that provides a place for a curse to land and to be engaged with in in my life? Years ago, I was on the Navajo reservation. I'd been there several times. And there was one guy, and he was really kind of creepy, and he would stand off at the fringe of things, and he would do these rituals. And one night he came in, and, and there was blood on the door of the church and blood on each corner uh, of the, the post of the church. And I asked the pastor, What's, what is this about? And he goes, it's him. He's trying to place a curse on this church. But he had to get close enough, and he had to do it out loud. He had to speak out loud. Now, some of you have been with us at places in the Caribbean and other areas, and you've seen the same kind of thing. And isn't that something, that it would cross cultures? Uh, and I, I've seen it in all kinds of places, but that particularly made an, an impact on me because I felt like if he had spoken aloud and he would come in and he would say in these words, and I thought, well, he's using spoken words. we got to use spoken words. So I got some people and we held hands and we faced him and we said, we're praying against you and greater is he who is in us than he who is in you. And God says, no, that this is not your property and you can't have this and your curse is going to be defeated. And we, we pray against you and we pray a blessing on you. 
We replaced the curse. Remember the replacement. We replaced the curse with a blessing. And we prayed over him. He got closer. We began to have conversations. He's won over, I made 22 trips to the reservation. I saw two medicine men pray to receive Christ. He was one of them. And he told us later, I was speaking words of curses uh, against the church. Now that's kind of an extreme example but what are these sources and these access points of curses? Because I think most of us lived under a curse of a spoken word that's a little different. Some of you have the curse, maybe when you were little and your mother said, you are so stupid. And you've grown up thinking, I'm stupid. That's a curse. That's a, the power of a spoken word, and you, you, that's a curse on you. So we're going to break that. We're going to break that. Uh, and so let's look at what are the, the sources and the access points of those. First, these generational strongholds and these curses, rather, um, that families can live under. There's almost like a jurisdiction of family or community. Did any of you grow up in a small town? And maybe there's one family, you go, oh, yeah, that's the, I'm just going to make up a name. And if this is your name, please forgive me. Oh, that's the Higgins. You know them. They've always been that way. Their pappy was that, you know, and, and you think, where did that, the whole clan is like that. There's an, a jurisdiction. In 2 Corinthians six seventeen, he says, come out from them and be separate and don't even touch any of their stuff. Don't touch their truck. Don't touch their microwave. Don't touch their flat screen. Just leave it. I don't know what that's about, but I can tell you there's something territorial and there's a violation of that. Now, people can also be cursed, I think, by associating with uh, demonic rituals or defiling activities. And I know somebody thinking, oh, here he goes. I knew he's going to get weird. Um, I've seen video games I think are cultic and you think, oh, I'm going to get defensive about that. Horror movies, I just don't, I just, I hate them. At my, my spirit, I'm just kind of a sensitive guy and... Uh, I have seen some, and I remember the first time at a drive-in, I saw the, the movie The Exorcist, and we were messed up. I'll just tell you the whole, full disclosure. We were just really high, and, and it affected me. I mean, it just scared the life out of me. I just I hate those movies. And if you go to them and you're going to be defensive, okay, I'm, I'm, I don't have a verse for you. I'd just say I'd be careful. Um, but Ouija boards, seances, readings, demonic, all of that kind of stuff. You know, you think, eh, I'm just going to pull away from that. Lastly, there's just simple word curses. Intentional, unintentional, these almost like a covenant, the way it works, where there's a place of jurisdiction uh, that the enemy has. Look at Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Death and life. Now look at James chapter 3. He's going to put that up there before I can find it. So you know what? I'm just going to read it off. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. We, we can't live like that. We're actually 
going to have to account for every word we say. Have you ever thought about that? In the list of all the things we would have to stand before the Lord and give an account of, that's the one that he pulls out. What I spoke. Isn't that interesting? And it's not just talking about profanity. Before some of you get all self-righteous and think, oh, I'm so glad you know, that I don't cuss. Well, it's not that. It's what you say to and about others and the way you say that and the words, I think, even the words you say to yourself. I am this. I'll always be like that. And the enemy, just, just, he's just filled you up with these lies and half lies and he's convinced you that's true and it's not true about you because you've been saved and you've been set free. But he doesn't want you to know that. So we speak these curses on ourselves. Well, let's dismantle those and we've only got like a minute to do it. So we need to confess any sin or activity and ask for forgiveness for it. That's where we begin. It begins with confession and you know what I'm going to say next. Then we repent. Under the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, we repent and we sever that curse. And some of you, over the next few weeks, you're going to hear things come out of your memory and words, and you're going to remember conversations and things that were said about you or to you. It could have been from a parent, a coach, a teacher, a friend, and you've kind of let some of that hook in your soul and you've believed it. It's nothing but a stinking lie from hell. But it's been powerful enough to keep you in bondage because he'll put layer after layer after lie on it. Confess and repent. And when the Lord brings those back to your memories, you just sever that tie by the authority of Jesus. And you just keep doing it. And every time one comes up, you cut it and you cut it and you cut it. And you're going to begin to experience this amazing freedom and this liberty that you haven't known. And then, don't forget the principle of replacement. Instead of pronouncing a curse, let's pronounce blessings. I think this church, I think your family would be ten times more powerful and mighty in our spirit if we just blessed each other. It's the opposite of a curse. It's a blessing. Parents, mothers, this is your day. Give your children words of blessing. Do it in front of them. Do it directly to them. Speak words of blessings. Those of you who have siblings, I have only begun to realize in the last, I don't know, couple of decades that that is maybe almost as powerful a relationship as parents. Some of you would disagree with that. Those of you raised around brothers and sisters, you know brothers and sisters have powerful influence in each other's lives. Pronounce a blessing. Give blessings to your brothers and sisters. And you can do this with your parents, uh, but it's very powerful. And do it out loud. Do it out loud. Speak words of blessing. um, And watch the difference Uh, that begins to happen in the lives around you. I know we have covered a lot of ground in this series. We've covered a lot of ground today, haven't we? But God wants us to be free. 
We want to identify where is it that the enemy comes into our lives? How does he suppress us from living in the fullness that God designed us to live in? And and friends and folks, over this last several weeks, as best I can, I've shared with you what I think is happening in the spiritual realm. Some of you are still not set free. Good news. Today's your day. Today's your day to be set free.